All right, it's the Chance of Gaming Podcast, episode 54. With me always... Studio 54. Yes, episode Studio 54 in studio. Um, with me always is Richard and Roy. Good evening, everyone. This is Rich. Hey, this is Roy, and I had some uh, snappy comeback that I thought of, and now I've forgotten it, so hey. Yeah, That's that right. works. <laughs> Email it to Adam. He'll edit it in yeah. later. Oh, we'll okay. All, all right. this editing that he likes to do. We'll get that robot <laughs> voice that, you know, they <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he said this, but you could. Yeah. All right. Adam, um, you really shouldn't that random YouTube clip there for Roy. Consider this my snappy comeback. Also, I'm from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> That's who we can uh, interview is um, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> from beyond the grave yeah that would be quite a get <laughs> that would yep. get us that would get us some hits yep i think it would be you know it's kind of like finding the psychic or whoever it would be and then like getting them on the show and and doing stuff and um yeah i don't know maybe look I, i've mentioned before my friend that has a for realsies podcast um that has like big name people on it in the science world that's that's that kind of thing and i've always joked around like i would love to get this guy on to just do this one joke like uh there was somebody that wrote this it, it was a, it was a lady about uh she did a book on um memory something on mm -hmm. like on like how you know neurons work and all that shit that i don't understand and um so it would be my whole joke in interviewing her would be get her on. It's like, so you're the, the uh, you're the person that created that designed the board game memory. What can you tell me about that? <laughs> you know, just to, yeah, I know it's dumb. That's that's why I'm down. That's you know, that reminds me of that uh, uh, talk show that Chris Farley had the sketch oh, yeah. that he had where he was like, oh, yeah, that's that's really cool. And you did that thing in that movie. That was, that was awesome. awesome. That was so do you cool. Do you remember that? <laughs> do you remember when you were in the Beatles? That awesome. Yeah. Did you die? Ah, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, that that would be uh, amusing to do. Something else I was gonna say. Dad, it had to do with this show, and I can't remember. Oh yeah, I every now and then I kind of poke around and look at like our numbers and you know just to see like hey is it is it worth still doing this you know um and uh yeah we got a real spike in numbers over the covid thing so maybe people were at huh. home maybe people were at home bored and we're like yeah that's interesting because i heard some people i figured it would kind of even out because i've heard some people say i don't drive to work anymore so i don't listen to podcasts anymore and mm -hmm. then i heard some people say well i'm home all day now so i listen to more podcasts well, hey, uh, I actually did get some feedback uh, from a person that I've been in touch with uh, outside of the podcast, uh, a guy that I reconnected with from uh, college. And so I don't know if I can use his name or not. So I'm just going to call him Dan. Okay. And uh, so Dan from Chicago is uh, one of our newer listeners. We're going to say this is Dan Carlin with Hardcore History. Yep. Yes. It's him. <laughs> yes. Okay. Boy, Dan Carlin, I guess he is making some uh, some business with people. Like, didn't he didn't he do an interview with Tom Hanks recently? He did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was his hardcore history addendum that came out recently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've not listened to that yet, but uh, I heard that he was on there. Yeah, yeah, he did that one because 
And I think the reason is because Tom Hanks had a new movie that just came out on Apple TV. Yeah. And it was supposed to be a blockbuster. Actually, I'd like to read the book. Greyhound. Um, Greyhound. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it's based on a book. I think the original book was called The Good Shepherd. um, And then they like re-released the book and renamed it or something like that. But Mm -hmm. it's about a, uh, a guy captaining a ship in the Atlantic convoys in World War II. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Dan from Chicago, uh, he was saying that he had he listens to some gaming podcasts, and he, this is one of the only ones that he's listened to where war gaming is kind of a focus, which is not really me, but I mean I'm like I said before I'm I'm the we all know who's the who's the uh, third wheel in this tricycle. No, it's okay because <laughs> if if you want to listen to a war gaming podcast, I'm pretty sure we're the only one that does that. So don't uh, look around or anything. Just you know, take our word for it. And, Go spend money at Alter Dementia. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there. I didn't think there were any other podcasts. I thought we were just it. Can't think of any yeah. others offhand. So uh, what he? What did he say when he, when he listened to it? Did he listen to it before he knew he reconnected with you? Or uh, no? So I we reconnected and I said, hey, you know, I'm on this podcast. He said, well, I'll give it a listen. Um, so he said that he liked this. Was the first episode he listened to was the movie review I did, the first one with Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> Yes. And he said he liked that part, and he liked the discussion of uh, uh, racism in Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know. It's it's weird. we're very weird, and I guess we have a niche audience for sure. I, I assume, and because uh, I mean we do kind of jump around. The thing is, is I really don't listen to any really other tabletop gaming podcast. I mean, I do history on the table. Uh, and I'm, in fact, like I'm between audiobooks. That's when I start catching up on my podcast, the the hundreds that have piled up in Overcast. Like uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm just getting through all of Lore, and uh, from like I haven't listened to that since like last October. So yeah, I'm just listening to hundreds of episodes. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't really listen to anything else, so I don't really know like how to compare. Usually when I do podcasts, they're fiction. Is or or true crime. I got into that for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, yes, I don't know. I just I think of us. You know, we're not really focused so much. It's just very conversational, and I like it that way. I like you know just you know that's how it is, and you know we may get off we we may talk about weather in you know Missouri or the history of the Civil War in Florida or you know whatever. It just kind of goes around and around, and I guess there's enough people that like that. And just kind of like orient. I mean, part of it is like, you know, you have to have like um, something vested with like the host, the people that you're listening to. If you don't think, you know, if you're not interested in them, like, mm-hmm. you know, well, what beer did Roy drink this week? You know, or, or whatever, you know, it's you're, you know, you're, it's not well, really going to be your thing. You know, speaking of podcasts, and I, I have this here, um, I have been waiting through, we have ways of making you talk. Oh, yeah, and, that's a good one. Oh, it's so great. They and talked about that movie too. Which one? Oh, the uh, yeah, Greyhound. Greyhound? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The uh, I listened to the episodes where they were at the tank museum and they're just wandering around talking about tanks. <laughs> so like the the uh, the British Firefly, they took they got the biggest gun they could find and put it in this tank. Well, they said, well, will this fit? And they took it to an armor and he said, no, it won't fit. So they took it to another <laughs> guy. He says, yeah, I can make that work. So they took the <laughs> the the recoil on the gun is a meter throw. And if they fire the gun inside the turret, it smashes the radio on the back of the turret. 
So like, we'll take this out of here and move it over here and we'll weld this here and we can have a gun and this giant gun in this, this tank. And then they like, they had to turn it on its side for the, the, um, to load the shells into it. And then they had a tank that could take out a tiger. And so that was That's the British awesome. Firefly. So they just yeah. wandered around, and very knowledgeable guys talking about about a lot of tech, actually. It's yeah. funny, though, that, that, that the Brits did that, because usually you think of the Germans as trying all that weird stuff that, you know, mm-hmm. they get a lot of these one-offs, and just some of it worked and some of it didn't. But they tried a lot of weird stuff, especially toward the end of the war. <laughs> I, I will tell you, as a miniature gamer, as a World War II miniature gamer, it really annoys a lot of people that the U.S. cannot field fireflies. <laughs> They're like, nope, sorry, it's, that's, it's not yours. You didn't want to do that. The British were like, hey, let's do this. And so they did it. In fact, the way they you'll see people model them, they wanted to lure in uh, German tanks that uh, like Panthers and whatnot that would think they're going to attack a regular Sherman. And yep. they, they painted the bar- the end of the barrel, the longer barrel, a different kind of like this little camo pattern where it would be lost mm. if you just mm-hmm. kind of glimpsed it far away and the rest of the tank was just green. It's really neat. And I'll try to well, post, uh, post a picture in the show notes so you'll see what I'm talking about. Ah, all right. And so they would, and you know, they were in limited supply, so they would deploy like one of these Firefly tanks along with what it was a, a tank battalion. Is that four tanks? Uh, the, yeah, I don't. I don't uh, want to say Roy. Because I think the battalions could have more than four. I think maybe ah. like a company might have four. But anyway, they'd have they'd have one Firefly and then a bunch of regular tanks too. Yeah, they would. Yeah, they would uh, ride with them. Usually, like when I'm building a Flames of War formation, uh, a tank group, whatever it is, usually I can take like one Firefly for every three or four other Shermans. I think, mm-hmm. of course, it, that you know, it also depends on like the you know the theater se- sector is, of the war. And stuff. Is Flames mm-hmm. of War one to one, one monocle? Yes, one model yes, is it one is. vehicle. Yep. Okay, right. well, it is one to one. And um, okay, yeah. we haven't been playing much of it lately. It fired up a little bit, and then COVID hit, and now yeah, we're all on bolt action, and I'll I'll get to that in a minute. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, you know, is there a tank museum? I know the big one over in in Britain is just phenomenal. They have all this stuff, not only from like World War Two, but like World War One, and all this stuff. But isn't there a uh, an armor museum somewhere like uh, in the Midwest? Yeah, I thought no, I thought it was down know. there closer to you. I don't know. Um, and uh, I mean, there's okay because when the, the the we have ways guys, I know they were in the U.S. and for some reason I was I was thinking they were in the South somewhere when they went to. A tank mm. museum. Yeah. All right. Okay. Look, looking here on the Google, it is the American Armored Foundation Tank and Ordnance War Memorial Museum. Um, where are you guys, though? I, I mean, I see this stuff. It's all nice. It looks really cool. You even have radio-controlled tank battles. That's super cool, and I'd be all <laughs> over that. But uh, where are you guys? Let's see. Let me click on it. Danville, Virginia. Okay. Wow. So, yeah, we should try to... Yeah, we, we should make a trip over there. Of course, <laughs> we can make all these plans during all this time that we can't actually leave. You know, that's that's a thing. Yeah, it's a COVID thing. So, oh, yeah, are you guys, are you guys under a mandatory mask order yet? 
yes. tomorrow it goes into place. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah we have been um, – we still don't – anywhere where social distancing is not possible. So, like, if I go outside for a run or a bike ride, uh, I can go without one. But anywhere inside and anywhere where I'm forced to be closer than six feet from someone, I have to wear a mask. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be in public, and they and they reduced our um, social gatherings are now have to be ten or less. It was it had jumped up to thirty or less, but you know we can't do stuff. We we can't <laughs> be trusted. So yeah, yeah, we're we're spike uh, we're spiking big time, and we're actually running out of ICU beds. Oof. So so our governor put teeth in uh, in our order with a five hundred dollar fine if you're not wearing it. Yeah. yeah. See, our I don't know what our consequences are. That that I I know they can't be too bad because I know that when I go to the gas station, half the people in there don't have one. Mm. So, no oh, good. Yeah, it it'll be ours. That'll come like a week later. You know, after he he was like, "Hey, you guys, I told you to to do this. Why aren't you doing it? Because you're not going to punish them. That's why they're doing it. Okay, guys, now I have to punish you." Although there's a lot of mayors doing stuff. Uh, the town right next to mine is uh, first first offense is a warning, second offense is $500 fine, third offense is a $1,000 fine, fourth offense is jail time. So <laughs> Straight to jail. Have you guys seen that Parks and Rec where the guy uh, yes. comes to like Central America? Yeah. No from, mask, uh, straight to jail. <laughs> from from uh, uh, yeah, uh, Venezuela. Armisen. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's where they give Ron the gold, the gold gun. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. You undercook chicken, jail. Yeah. You overcook fish, jail. <laughs> All right. So I, yeah, we do a show here more or less. Uh, and the first that's it. thing, that's yeah, show that's today, the show. Right? All right. See you guys later. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. I, I like. The, so do you guys have Aldi in your near you? Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. No. The don't it. The, you, I don't know no. what that is. I don't know what oh, it is. You've what, got, oh, really? You've got to move, Adam. You've got to move. That's what, the last. Row. What is an Aldi? I don't know how I could live somewhere without Aldi. Aldi is so, a. Do you have it's a Trader German Joe's? store? Is it A L D I? Yeah. Yeah. Aldi. Do you have Trader Joe's? No. Oh. Look, well, man, look. Why would anyone live in a place with no Trader Joe's and no Aldi? <laughs> Richard, we just got a Costco. Just got just got a Costco. Okay. And I'm walking through it like, oh my god, what wonders! Where has this been my whole life? And yeah, you know, I'm like, let me try this Korean barbecue. Oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever! Yeah, so love it. All right, no, don't have an Aldi. So this is the part of the show where Roy and I get to talk about Aldi. Oh yes, uh, Trader Joe's and Aldi are related to each other. Right. Your... In fact, I think in Germany, I think they're actually called Aldi North and Aldi South. Yes. But yep. here they're called Aldi and Trader Joe's. So the Trader or all these, well, and Trader Joe's too, uh, both sell a lot of their own like store brands. To, sure. A lot of times to the to the loss of everything else. So they only sell their store brand there. And so at Aldi they have a, a particular beer that I've really come to love called Vernisgruner. Really and it's a, interesting. And it's, it's a German beer, so it's and I refer to it as old man beer. It's yeah. um. Because it's just kind of a no frills, like beer, beer. So it follows all the you know the German purity laws of hops and malt and sure. water and all that sort of thing. Um, so I really like Vernus Gruner beer. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. I, yeah. I 
I, I, I get oldie beer sometimes, but here in St. Louis, actually, we talked about this in the last show, there's a big brewery called Schlafly. Oh, yeah. They sell Schlafly beer at Aldi. So, oh, all right. Um, yeah, at the Aldi's here in St. Louis anyway. And sometimes I'll get some other stuff. Like they've got they've got some Belgian beer over at Aldi that I'll get from time to time. Mm. So, Okay. Yeah, our well, whole our whole thing with beer just in Mississippi is weird anyway. So uh, yeah, it's you have to if you have if you sell any kind of alcohol, you have to sell it to the state, who then turns around and sells it to distributors. So that, sounds like a very efficient system. Yeah, it it keeps a lot of stuff out because companies <laughs> mm. don't don't want to do, deal with the, the headache of it and whatnot. But. So I'm guessing you don't have any microbreweries in in uh, Mississippi. We have a few. We actually really? have, we actually have a few. Uh, the first one was Headgum. Uh, They're in Kiln, Mississippi, and Brett Favre helped them open. I can't think of the name of it, but yeah. We've got a few, um, probably I'd say less than five because they we got used to have a lot more because you know everybody did. You know, I think crap. we've got five within ten miles of me. <laughs> you know, there used to be a lot more, and then it just yeah they just slowly started closing because you can't you know there's a huge competition uh-huh. for you know beers now. My personal favorite is in my the town I love most in Mississippi in Hattiesburg. And that's Southern Prohibition Brewing. So that's that's been my personal favorite. <laughs> so. so if you have a brew pub in Mississippi, they have to make the beer, sell it to the state, and then sell it back to the brew pub? Well, they actually changed the laws. For They had to change the laws for that, that you could they could brew and they could sell on site, but they have to, like, it's so weird. It's it's like you, yeah. they had to account like we sold, you know, this much and then pay taxes on that. Hmm. So it's just weird. I mean, a lot of that's left over from like prohibition. And I would point out, I don't think Mississippi actually overturned prohibition to like not the 1960s. And, huh. and I, I am not joking. And the entire reason why was a prominent country club got raided by an overzealous uh, local sheriff and a lot of prominent politicians got arrested. So they, it, the following year, they overturned prohibition in Mississippi. So hmm. there you go. Well, okay, so I have a little quiz for you. Go ahead. For, for the two of you. Yes. Awesome. So this is about the game Munchkin. So Munchkin came out in 2001, and I want sure. you to, how many Munchkin titles can you name? So I've never played it, but this would just be like me walking past it at Barnes and Nobles and seeing how many I could see. Okay, so 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 we'll go to Rich, then we'll go to Adam. Um, I'm gonna guess there's a Lord of the Rings one. Let's see. Um, gonna strike out on the first one. uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't think there is one. No. Okay. Adam, I left it wide open for you. Uh, I know there's a 40k one because I, okay, yep. I think I think we actually <laughs> we actually covered that. And um, I mean, there's like there's like regular Munchkin. Yeah. And there there is a bunch of them. Man. Yeah. In there, there in there like a space Munchkin. There's a star Munchkin. Yeah. Okay. Munchkin two unnatural acts. Uh, Munchkin Adventure Time. Munchkin 3, Clerical Errors, Munchkin Marvel, Munchkin Bites, Munchkin 4, The Need for Steed, Munchkin Booty, 
Wait, must, must... which which one? Is, there's one with they some girl with big boobs on the cover. That may be unnatural acts. Uh, yes, I believe okay, it is. Okay, and see again, I think I played it once or twice, and but it's it's like Richard said, walking past that huge shelf at either Barnes and Noble or you know, uh, your local gaming store, or whatever. I just know that freaking thing made Steve Jackson a shitload of money. Mm-hmm. It, it, it literally they just printed money for them. You know, is there uh, a Munchkin ogre? Ooh. I don't know. Because if there's not, there should be. I'm, I'm not doing a very good job scrolling through this list and feverishly searching for uh... that is Munchkin <laughs> kick Munchkin Kickstarter. Not a Kickstarter for a Munchkin, but a Munchkin where the the it's cards about, are Kickstarters. About Kickstarters. That would be funny. <laughs> All right. Well, I would kickstart that. <laughs> Do you have a lot of experience with it, Roy? No, not really. Okay. Yeah, I just wondered, like, if if the tables were turned, if we were like, okay, Roy, how many can you name? You know. Well, if... so I have Munchkin booty, and I could probably find my way for about through about two or three more. Maybe is, is booty pirate themed, or is it just? Yeah. Okay. It, no, that's yeah. It's a no. It's yeah. It is about pirates. Okay. Yeah. It, with that one, yeah, I, I, like I said, I only know like when they they have a lot more um, titles. Harry Potter, Munchkin. yes, yes. There's a Harry really? Potter, yeah. There, and I think you're right, Richard. I I, I would be surprised if there isn't yeah. a Lord of the Rings. Well, I, yeah, I may it could have, be uh, the Lord of the Rings is well. I don't know. They used to be more protective with their license, but I don't know. Harry Potter's then, out there. Yeah, somebody died in the family, whoever was running it. I think it was the son. Christopher yeah. Tolkien, yeah. And now they're like, oh, right, everybody gets, gets a license. <laughs> you get a license. You get a license. Munchkin Lord. Nope. Nope, doesn't look like there is one. All right. Hmm. Okay. And why not? There should be. I guess that'll <laughs> come out. Apparently there's a Super Munchkin. And, oh yeah, holy shit, there is Munchkin Pathfinder and Munchkin Starfinder. So is there Munchkin D&D? Yeah, I don't believe there is. Although there's, well, yeah, I don't know. There's Munchkin Oz. I've never seen that. And, uh, yeah, and that's the thing, is like all of these, not all, they have like this huge amount of uh, expansions and stuff for them. Like, if there is, like, Munchkin, you know, Pathfinder, it's got a whole bunch of extra stuff to it. Munchkin Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Munchkin Penny Arcade. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, I think they did the art and were, you know, yeah, a lot of that. You know, you get guys that are just like, well, you know, I'm a fan of this game, so I would, you know. I must have it all. Yes. I, I would like to be in it or, you know, whatever, and yeah. So, is there, like, a... I'm trying to think, what else does uh, Steve Jackson own that you would think... There'd be Munchkin Car Wars. They should be that. Now, that's actually started to ship. People oh, are, that's... And that's why you said Ogre, right? right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. that's why I said Ogre. That would make plenty of sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, people were asking it's me... It's become self-aware at this point if we've got a <laughs> Munchkin Ogre. Munch... And Munchkin apparently came out in 2001. And just looking at Board Game Geek, there are 36 linked items for Munchkin. They have Munchkin Axe Cop, Munchkin Conan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess like kind of stuff 
like you know Oz and whatnot would be easy because they're it's uh, public domain. Uh, Marvel, Oz, Munchkin Panic is that? Oh, which is like Castle Panic, which I've never played. Munchkin Rick and Morty. Holy mm-hmm. shit! No, yeah, again, this is just printing money. You know, they're like, ah, we'll just slap this on there. Munchkin X Men, Munchkin Zombies. That's that is, um, people forget that Steve Jackson did that game. That game was, like, their big, super popular one before, um, Munchkin, I, I think, just in my mind. Do you guys remember that? The little, um, I own the first one, uh, it, it, it came in a little black box, and it would have miniatures in it. It's just called Zombies? Yes, and it was like a, uh, dungeon crawler type thing. Where you lay out Is it tiles? zombies with an exclamation point? Actually, three exclamation points. How <laughs> did yes. I guess? <laughs> yes, that is it. And, uh, yeah, you lay out tiles and and do it. So. Oh, wait, that's uh, Twilight Creations. Oh, they did that one? Shit, yeah. Okay, all right, I'm wrong, sorry. Yeah, don't listen to this for accurate information. What? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it is kind of the same feel to it. Yeah, but well, apparently they did a, a Munchkin version of that. So, right. Oh, really? Right. Yeah, yeah, and that see, that's another one that has a ton of different stuff. Although it's the same way as Cool Mini or not, you know, they do that dungeon crawler. They do a zombie dungeon crawler called something. I cannot think of the name of. Anyway, it has a ton of expansions that, of course, they kickstart. And uh, yeah, so Roy, what have you been playing? So I've been playing Stone Age, the Anniversary Edition, which came out in uh, 2018, I guess. And it's on Board Game Arena now, and it is a snow-themed Stone Age. So if you're familiar with Stone Age, it's a worker placement game where each day you send your your tribe's people out to cut wood or dig clay to make bricks or, you know, quarry rock or pan for gold. And then you're going to... um, buy civilization cards which will give you a little bump of something you're trying to buy buildings if you have the right commodities to um, to build the building you can build that and then each day you have to feed everybody uh, you can make tools you can bump up your agriculture level level uh, or you can breed and make another uh, tribes person um, so it's a yeah so you we call yeah, it the hub they of, all work man Caverna Agricola yeah yeah you gotta, the hubba you gotta make hubba those hat. babies if you want to win the game. Yeah. So this uh, <laughs> first you gotta build an extra room for them, then you gotta make them. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, Stone Age anniversary, like I say, is snow themed. So the uh, the board is a painting. It's of a you know of a snowscape, and the uh, really the only difference there is that there's the animal cards that are shuffled into the deck, and when those come up, they nerf your die rolls. So like. If you uh, if you send a tribes person to hunt, you roll the number of tribes people you send. So if you send two two tribes people, you roll two six sided dice divided by two. That's how much food you get. And then wood is divided by three, clay is divided by four, stone is divided by five, and gold is divided by six. Um, so the animal cards subtract from your rolls, and then if you drive them off, then you get a little reward for that, which they're they're interesting when they come up, um, but I thought I wish there was a little bit more variety with them. Um, so like the 
if the bear comes around your your village, then you it's like minus three to each of your die rolls. Uh, so you know maybe you don't go out when the bear is out there. Uh, but I I like the notion of a yeti card. So there's a yeti in the mountains, and I, that means I can't go to the mountains. I think that would be uh, an all right thing to have on there. So that's a Stone Age Anniversary Edition. Now, what is the anniversary of it? Uh, ten year. Yeah. I actually played that once about ten years ago. I think there's actually a uh, an app uh, for it for like, on the iPad or something, too. Oh, really? So. Yep. Yep. That's an enjoyable game. Yeah. But uh, we, we play that one quite a bit. Uh, and then and these are all been – I've been playing these on Board Game Arena. Um and then it seems like every game night we start off with a game or two of Seven Wonders, which we can blaze through, even a seven-player game. Um, so. Wow, I can't imagine it was seven players. Yeah, that's maybe 40 minutes oh, it wow. takes. Yeah. Wow. Um, but that's uh, Seven Wonders where you're, you represent one of the various Seven Wonders, so like the, uh, the Colossus of Rhodes. And there's three stages, or sometimes there's four stages on the card where you can build a thing and get and build a, a level of your wonder and get a little benefit from that, either in victory points or military power or whatever. Okay. It's played over three ages, and the first stage you're basically you're laying down your first resources. There's there's only resources to be had in ages one and two. Um, so you need to make sure in the, those one or two ages, you need to have a nice base of supplies. And you can buy supplies from your neighbors if they have them. Um, and then at the end of each age, there's a military section where all the military you've, you've built up over that age is compared to your neighbors. And if yours is higher than theirs, then you conquer them. They get a minus one chip and you get a, a point chip. Um, and then, so in the third age, then you're buying um, the the guild cards, which give you a bunch of extra points. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, Seven Wonders. is uh, It's a, it's a pass and play game. So like you you play a card and then pass the hand to your somebody on your right or left. Right. So left. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Puerto Rico. I also played on Board Game Arena, and I played a, well, I played a couple of games of that here recently, and that's another one of these games that, uh, on tabletop, is takes a long time, and like on Board Game Arena, it's still pretty long, but like, all the accounting is done for you and everything. So, and I'm, this is probably maybe my sixth or seventh game of Puerto Rico I've played, um, and I'm still. You know, learning the the best route to take with things there, but uh, that's what I've been playing. Yeah, I've how about some, you, Adam? I've got some games of that under my belt for sure. And um, gosh, I have not played that played that in a long time. So mm-hmm. yeah. anyway, uh, is it my turn to say what I've been playing? Yes, it is. Um, for me, uh, the Bolt Action League, which is the uh, twenty-eight millimeter World War Two uh, game from. Warlord Games is essentially a large-scale skirmish game. You basically field a platoon with some support. Like, um, I was list-building the other day and looking at it, and, like, generally, you can only field, like, one tank. You know, that's it. It's it's mainly about infantry. 
So, uh, are we got a league fired up? And again, I, I've talked about this before. I do not understand the mind of the tabletop gamer. What causes somebody to go, hey, I want to play this game. And then, like, uh, 11 or 12 other people go, you know what? That sounds awesome. Here's hundreds of dollars, local store. <laughs> Order all this stuff for us. I don't get it. But, I mean, God bless them. I've been wanting to get... I've been playing this game sporadically throughout this year only because a friend of mine had moved up here. And he, you know, was the only person I knew that had figures. And now, yeah, we have 13 people in our league. We uh, we have... Uh, we use this uh, website called something. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. It has a weird French name. And uh, we basically, you get a match. You get randomly an, a, selected an opponent um, every week. And you can earn like more points by playing like more people and, and whatnot. And at the end of this Escalation League, uh, there'll be prizes given out for like, you know, most wins and, and whatnot. So I've been kind of doing that. And, of course, now we're all actually really scared that the shop is going to close again. That we're going to have to. And I don't know. I mean, I don't see it happening. Um, not, I mean, as of right now, Mississippi is planning on going back to school, which I think is ridiculous. But uh, I, I'm, I'm fully believe that they'll go to school for like a week and then close. And say, nope, nope, can't do this. But we'll see. So right now, we just got, like, mask mandates and stuff. But what we're scared of was, like, you can't have ten or more people in a social gathering. So, but I don't know how that works for business. I don't know. Uh, the other thing, uh, my the, the local gaming celebrity here in Mississippi is Jack Green, the designer. And um, I ordered some stuff from him. Just, you know kind of help him out in this time since you know people aren't getting out in gaming people aren't necessarily buying stuff and um yeah so i ordered some with kind of a kind of an eye to send something at least to richard uh to get him to like review it you know down the line to see if he likes it or whatever and in that vein like the first thing was this game called the same four cats it's, it's, it's designed, uh, by an Italian designer and Jack has a lot of, uh, a lot of friends that are Italian designers and he imports a lot of their games over here. So a lot, and a lot of places like this is the only way you can get a copy of this game currently. In That's cool. And, uh, this is like, it's a solitaire campaign card game and, uh, it has to do with Italian torpedo bombers. I know uh, they mentioned in the last um, History on the Tabletop episode, uh, somebody really liked obscure, th- uh, obscure like uh, battles or whatever. So yeah, there's definitely a couple of those here. Like I never, I never, never ever even thought about an Italian torpedo bomber. So you know this this is probably the only game about it, and it's called the same four cats because it comes from the name of their uh, squadron or whatever. So. Yeah. It's a solitaire. Yeah, I always think it's. I always think it's interesting to find something about a battle that you really don't know anything about, and you know, especially if you can find a good book to go with it. Or sometimes you can't even find a good book, but sometimes there's a YouTube series or something, and just kind of brings it to life. And I always like that. 
uh, as I stand up and pull a book off my bookshelf, uh, Jack also authored this book called The Naval War in the Mediterranean, 1940 to 1943, and with an Italian uh, co-author. And so he really knows his stuff with this kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so I think it'd be cool. Plus, you know, it was relatively inexpensive, you know, for cool. a game. Uh, so that, I'll look at that. And uh, the other one, another one that I ordered from him in this order was Torino 44. And he, what he, how he got my attention to, to uh, be interested in purchasing this, there, is, there are two alcohol, um, uh, what do you call it? Not chits. <laughs> yes. The, uh, that is it. We, when we uh, play board games, we punch these out. I guess they're called chits? Yeah, yeah chits, counters. Counters, yeah. counters, I guess is what I'm saying. There are two alcohol counters on it. That if the Finns find them, of course, Torino Forty Four is about. Um, so that's like a supply depot, except it's alcohol and not. If, yeah, well, if they if they find them, they get uh, you, they lose morale. I believe is what he said because they get drunk and they're not motivated right. to to go. So I, um, this is a, a battle between Finnish and German forces in uh, two towns between October first and October eighth, nineteen forty four. One player's Finnish, the other's German. Northern Finland. Yeah. So that's that's why. I mean, I would have I would have never thought that in October '44 the Finns and the Germans would be fighting in mm. Finland because Germany pretty much had their hands full at that time. I mean, October '44, the they're getting hit from both sides. I, I it's crazy to think that they're fighting the Finns there too. But again, that's I, I don't know anything about it, so that's cool. So yeah, this is uh, hidden German alcohol depots. It also includes uh, issues with like German prisoners or a thing, airstrikes, nighttime rules, fog of war. Anyway, just sounds kind of neat. And hmm. you know, he just kind of sold me on that with you know, hey, there's hidden alcohol uh, counters. So I'm like, all right, that sounds neat. And, I mean, I'm just I'm just happy to see. And, and don't get me wrong, I love, you know, I'll be happy to play a good Gettysburg game or a good Battle of the Bulge game or a good Normandy game or whatever, but I think it's really cool to see something that's not one of those games, you know, whether you're talking about the Italian torpedo bombers or Germany and Finland, especially if, I mean, there's people out there that like, hey, I know about this, I think this is cool. Um, there was a, a recent game just came out by Compass, it's called, like, border wars i think and it's just like four tiny little obscure wars that all lasted like a week or something like that so i think it's cool to see stuff like that glad some someone's doing something different i'm reminded of the the thing that roy talked about remember the the weird german castle uh, yeah castle eider castle yeah yeah yep you know that absolutely that's so freaking weird that you're like you know what yeah let's let's make this into a uh to a board game. So, hmm. uh, the next thing I ordered, and this is all one order, obviously, uh, was Battle for Russia, Barbarossa, June to December 1941, designed by Ty Bomba. So, uh, yeah, I thought, eh, Richard might like this. And uh, so I, I tossed that in there. It is a two-player, low-to-intermediate, complexity-strategic-level simulation of the first six months of the Eastern Front. So... Thought Richard might like it. I think it was originally a magazine 
uh, version, and so this was uh, published in Japan as a box set, and it's got English rules, and so he brought it over here. And cool. the, and the last thing was Jack just published a new game called Bear Flag Republic. It's based on the campaign for California in 1846-47 with hypothetical events. Uh, it has leaders, navies, Native Americans, immigrants, Mormons, vaqueros, artillery, and all this fun stuff. So it seems pretty crazy to uh, have all this stuff thrown in there. So I know me and my friend Chris are dying to play it. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I ordered. And I have these links in the show notes. If you would like a copy, you can order from Quarter Deck uh, International. And, so, uh, yeah. Tide Bomba sounds like he might, in fact, be a Gungan. Tide Bomba. <laughs> yeah, that is a very Star Wars name. It is. Hi, Bamba. We have him. He, that's a Star Wars name. And then Reiner Kaniza, That's he's in the Wu-Tang Clan. So, yeah. <laughs> Ty Bamba does a lot of, like, alternate history games. Oh, all right. So, yeah. There were... If there, but it doesn't look like this one is, so... There was one on uh, Quarter Deck that I wanted um, that I passed on. I mean, I'll, I'll get it eventually, I guess. It's called... Um, Radiation dust, fall of the Soviet mm-hmm. Union, and uh, it it's like basically a invasion of Russia in the seventies after like we nuked it. So it was this whole. It was based on this plan called Operation Drop Shot. You drop three hundred nuclear warheads and conduct strategic bombings on a hundred cities and two hundred targets in the Soviet Union to obliterate eighty five percent of their war making capacity. So you got one size NATO, one size Warsaw Pact. So. I, I thought that was really cool. And then I was going to order, but it sold out, and that's Red Sun Blue Cross, which is a, uh, I think I've talked about it on the show before. It's the Rus- the Russo-Japanese War of 1904-1905. It's a naval game. So, And again, this is obscure history that, you know, you might like, you know. So, anyway... That, oh, yeah, the only other thing I had was I listened to the last episode of um, History on the Tabletop, which had designers on the mic, and it was nice to see that uh, Ryan Hillman listens to us, so that was nice. You know, hey, it's a listener. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, it's always, it's always great when you get a little, <laughs> little feedback, and even though what he's Chance of Wargaming, and I'm like, okay, that's, I'll take it. I'm sure if you, Google, <laughs> if you Google that, maybe we'll pop up. I'll take it. And Dave Shaw is like gaming the uh, number one related automotive podcast on the web. Right. <laughs> it's like, and Dave, Dave Shaw is like, eh, I don't listen to podcasts. I'm like, I get that, yeah. Dave. I do. I do. He's like, he he loves reading blogs though, and I'm like, eh, yeah, I I've got, honestly gotten away from that more. Although I need to be able to see like a good, like a good byline on like Twitter or something, and then I'll click on it and be like, oh, okay, this is a really good article. And yeah. I'll, my problem with blogs is like if somebody posts something, they'll, you know, post something on Twitter or something like that, like you said, and I'll be, oh, that looks interesting. I'll go read it. But unless and I never go out looking for information on blogs, like there's nothing I'm subscribed to, whereas a podcast it's just going to show up in my phone every time someone drops a new episode. So it's not that I'm against reading blogs. It's just that I don't usually actively go out searching for them. Yeah, me neither. So what have you been playing, Richard? Not that much, actually. It's been a, a weird couple of weeks. It's been, I don't know, it's just a lot going on. But it, it seems like 
there's been like tons of times that I was going to get a game to the table and it never quite made it there. So um, I do still have my, my weekly Thursday game going, which for a while we were playing Atlanta's ours, but that friend of mine went out of town and I was playing with another friend. We've been playing Empire of the Sun for a few weeks. So we've got probably two sessions left of that where we finish that game up and I'm enjoying it. Um, I think uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting game. Um, I like it. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. I mean, I, I think if you ask a lot of war gamers, they rank it as one of the best. It's, it's very highly ranked like on BGG. Um, and I like it, but I'm not sure I'm crazy about it. So, um, I do want to play it some more and it's pretty cool though, because it's got fully functional bots for both sides or flow charts and everything, which can get a little tedious, but a couple of things about those. One, they help you kind of figure out the strategy, which is huge in that game. And then two, if you want to play a solitaire, you know, you can just play against one of the bots. And from what I heard, they're actually, they're pretty challenging to play against. So um, I'm going to do that. It's not actually on my table right now. I've just been playing it on Vassal. I did play it a few turns here and there on the table. Um, but right now it's just on Vassal. But I have been playing that. And other than that, it's it's been games with the kids mostly. Like we played we played Clank, which the kids like a lot. Um, and I don't think I've ever beaten my twenty year old in that game. She, I think I set my all time high score for that. I scored like a hundred and fifteen points or something, and still lost. So, um, yeah, we played Clank. Uh, the whole family played Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. Have you guys played that one? No, never heard of that. It's um, there's actually. I don't know what you'd call it a series. It's multiple volumes, but, but each game has like 10 different mysteries in it. And honestly, once you play it through one time, you know, you can give the game away or throw it away. I guess probably give it away or sell it or whatever, because you're not ruining any components, but there's no playthrough value at all, which is fine. Cause it's just, it's more of my wife and I were talking about, it. it's really more of a family activity than a game. But it's kind of like, you know, you've got a map of London and you start off with like some introduction and, you know, Watson tells you what the mystery of the day is. You're supposed to solve a murder and you go to different locations and you interview people. But there's all you get to do is read a few paragraphs anywhere from like two sentences where the guy says, nope, I don't know anything or several paragraphs where they give you a bunch of background information. And you're supposed to take it all and put it together and figure out some mysteries there's other parts to it, like you get a daily newspaper and there's side mysteries that you don't even necessarily know you're supposed to invest, be investigating. But it all comes together. And at the end, you get points for like how many how many things you figured out properly and how few clues it took you to do. But the scoring system's ridiculous. Like, you know, we'll we'll typically go to like 10 locations and we'll get I don't know. I, we stopped keeping score, actually, after a while, because. Then you talk to Sherlock Holmes. He's like, oh, yeah, I did it after talking to three people. Here's how. So it's it's silly. It's kind of like like, you you know, when you watch a mystery and then you watch it for a second time because you already know the answer. And you're like, oh, yeah, I see how the pieces fit together now. So it's interesting in that. But it's not really a game per se. But it, it is fun to play as a family. So um, we played that one. And then my wife and I played some Seven Wonders Duel, which is interesting because, you know, Royal, you're playing Seven Wonders. Oh, yeah. Duel mm -hmm. is the two-person version of it. And it's 
very similar mechanics, obviously, but it's designed specifically for two people. So the trading is very different because trading with two people is different from trading with three, four, five, six, seven people or whatever. Um, instead of playing a specific city where you're working on your one wonder, instead you play a city and you can build up to four wonders. So each each player gets four wonders at the beginning of the game. Only seven total can be built. So if your opponent mm-hmm. builds their four, then you can only build three. But um, other than that, it's it's a similar game. It's not instead of taking a card and passing it, the cards are arrayed in each phase on like a grid with some hidden and some up. And then you get to, you know, you take turns picking cards, but the resources are the same. You know, you got wood and stone and paper and glass and clay, I think is the other one. So it's a fun uh, game, though. Have you played it with the the Pantheon expansion? I have, yes. Um, Okay. And we usually play it without. Mm. Um, I've played it both ways. I don't mind. I guess... I guess I slightly prefer playing without, but sometimes we'll play with just to mix mm. it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think playing with the Pantheon expansion um, makes it too easy to win a science victory. A hundred percent of the times that I played with Pantheon edition, I've won a science victory. Oh, okay. So the, I think uh, that makes science a little too powerful. Ah, I like the uh, the conflict track in that, that it starts out neutral and then, yeah. you know, if you play a military card, well, I'm going to advance the marker towards your city. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm yep. I'm marching, I'm about to invade. And so eventually, yeah. once you get to the end, then you've won through invasion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever seen a military conquest victory in that game. It's, it's where you actually make it all. Yeah, because you got to go two spaces, then reset, then five spaces, then reset, and then I think seven or eight before you finally win. So mm-hmm. uh, you got to get pretty lucky to win that way. But it's... Almost, except for the Pantheon science victories, it almost always comes down to points at the end, which is which is good. And mm-hmm. it's usually close. So, um, other than that, I talked about it last time too. But I just, I we've been playing a lot of Xbox Battlefront too. Just me and the girls playing. We play co-op. We play against each other. It's just, um, like I said, it's been a weird couple weeks, and often we don't have a lot of time, and we're like, let's play a game, and then it gets to be. Oh, we don't have time to play a game anymore, but we can hop on the Xbox for 15 minutes and just play something together. So I'm terrible at it. I've only played online a couple times and I'm ridiculously bad, but it's still fun to play. <laughs> I uh, beat it. And yeah, I, after the last show, I finally took a look at that trailer for the new uh, flying game and it looks freaking oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, Squadrons. Yeah, yeah that does so, look amazing. So I'll be yeah. terrible at that one too, but I'm going to get it. Um, in all this in discussion about playing stuff, uh, something popped up recently, and it always does. I mean, if you if you've ever bought or game to the store, you've heard this argument before, and that is like buying from your local store. This popped up in the midst of our league. Um, the owner got like really mad at somebody for. You know, we're trying to get this thing off the ground. You know, he's not dedicating a lot of shelf space to it because he got so burned on um, Flames of War when that started. Uh, a guy came in trying to sell uh, just used stuff, basically. You know, in like the, the the official Facebook group of the store and, you know, the official group chat. And so it became like this, this whole thing about, you know, ethics. Like, you know, absolutely, we can get, you know, he talked about, like, 
you know, uh, it costs a lot of money to have the store, and it, it is. It's a huge, huge store. And it's fully air-conditioned, it's nice, it, they serve cheap beer and lots of table space. I mean, I get all that, but... And he, he, he talked about Amazon being his biggest competitor. I really see it more like stuff like NWS, like um, my force that I have. Uh, I needed to get some extra stuff. I need to be able to play it and send stuff off to the painter. And uh, the local store couldn't get it because Warlord is in England and it'd be weeks before I get it. So I had to order a box from NWS. I know, surprise, surprise, it was in stock and shipped fast, though. So from what I've, I've heard people say he's been shipping faster lately. That's good. So it's just that whole ethics of... Now, I fully believe you shouldn't buy everything or maybe even the majority of stuff you do um, online. You should support your local store somehow. However, mm -hmm. you know, I will say it, it really makes me mad when I go into a store in 2020 and they're charging MSRP for stuff. I'm like, you cannot do that. In, in the days of Amazon and everything else, you can't do that and expect to stay open. I, I just, it really makes me mad. You know, to see it like, you know, it's just like, you're making a shitload of money on this. And the other thing was, well, you could do stuff like a gaming club or something like that where you pay X amount of dollars to play, you know, uh, a month or whatever. And I've seen that, and it actually works for some places, but I have no experience with it. it may, maybe you also get, like, a, access to a library of, like, board games or, or whatever, but it really doesn't work for, like, your average card gamer or your miniature gamer or whatever. Uh, I mean, Games Workshop has always been an expensive hobby, and when the internet really exploded, you could get stuff much, much cheaper online from that. And so I remember a local store trying to ban stuff people bought on the internet. Like, the, the crazy motherfucker would actually go around to people playing <laughs> and like look at their stuff and go like I don't remember selling that to you you know so you can't feel that here mm. and, and that's, that's just crazy I know, that's a good way to share scare off your customers yeah and I know like for me personally the way I look at it is you know I, I buy stuff there um but with my thing is like I buy a ton like I had tons of this stuff for bolt action tons of it before they ever decided to stock it. So when you wanted, you know, for the past few months, people walking by and looking at, like, hey, what is that game? That was me, man. That was my, you know, it's my figures on the table, my friend Chad's figures. They walked by and they go, oh, wow, that looks cool. What is that? You know, and that kind of, you know, fans that flame, that spark for it. So I would argue, you know, that, that kind of thing. And I would also argue if you don't actually game in the store very much at all, maybe, you know, you shouldn't, you know, feel like you have to spend all your money, you know, in there. Maybe, you know, you can buy stuff off. I don't know. I mean, the reality is with cards and board games and all this different stuff, it, you really can't keep up with it. I guess the main thing, he, his complaint was you can't be, I know this is going to happen, 
I don't want it to happen. And it can't be this this blatant where, you know, in on the the official Facebook page or whatever, you're trying to sell something used, whereas I'm trying to sell that that's taking up my shelf space, you know, for it. So, eh. <laughs> and it's, it's just a thing, you know, with that. And so... I, I, I get that. I do. It's it, He got really, really pissed at the dude that, that was doing that, too. So, I mean, I guess I understand that, but I don't know. It seems like you just can't expect somebody to completely buy stuff in your store. Have you guys, like, encountered anything like that? I mean, I have to say I should excuse myself from the conversation because my local store is Miniature Market. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... I'm just really, really lucky to to have that as the option. So, I've gotten the look before from a store owner. You know, he didn't say anything, but he kind of gave me that that schoolmarm frown because I had stuff that I had not gotten from him. Was it like a board game or something? Like you brought in? No, it was uh, uh it was miniatures. Okay. It was um, Drop Zone Commander. Oh, okay. Which Did, he he didn't stock it when I showed up with it to play at his store. So. Did I know you played Drop Zone Commander, Roy? Yes, <laughs> yes, I think so. Okay, I did. All right. Well, I I've it's been years since I played it, but I have it in my house. I just haven't haven't played it yet. I've considered getting rid of it. Me too. I actually um, I was in my attic uh, yesterday looking for something, and I moved the bo- the box of it I have. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know I have I none of it's painted. I don't think I may have two fleets of it, maybe. And mm-hmm. man, it's just I that drop zone commander and drop fleet commander are both drop fleet com- commander kind of flopped a little bit. I think. Yeah, that okay. That's what I moved in my attic. Uh, I have a painted starter for the UCM, the United Colonies of Mankind, mm-hmm. in in my. Uh, uh, garage, you know. I don't know. I just lo- absolutely love the idea of that game. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's basically it reminds me of like Epic 40k. You know, I love the scale. I love how you know it's you're trying to control areas of the battlefield and and move stuff around and yeah. So mm-hmm. I dig it. Uh, I should probably do that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, yeah. I, I'm trying to think. I played like games with like uh, ancients, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I, I will also say I have bent over backwards trying to order stuff through my local shop for some stuff. Like, hey, I found out you can get it from this distributor. You know, can would you be interested in that? And like, nah, I don't really want to open up, you know, another account or, or whatever. So in that kind of case, you shouldn't care. You know, if I if I went and got it somewhere else, but again, it's not like I'm coming in there and I'm taking up all your tables with all the stuff I just bought on the internet that you can't mm-hmm. get. So I don't know, but yeah, there are just, just some ethics there, and you know, all that to say, I, on social media a while ago, a thing from the local comic shop popped up about, hey guys, please in this time, please come pick up your books that you subscribe to. You know, we, we can't we can't hold on to these. We're barely keeping the store open. So, oh, yeah. you know, that kind of thing is, like, really important, too. Especially when you commit to a store to, like, hey, uh, you know, please subscribe this for me and hold it. And, uh, yeah, in this time, yeah, go pick up your books. It's important. Hmm. 
I always feel guilty when I don't like because I. The only thing I subscribe to um, is Archie comics because okay. my my kid reads them, and uh, it's just the digest like you could get you know in Walmart or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, so I'll go like three months without picking them up, but I go in there and it's only like four books. That's it. It three four months. It's like four books, like one point five books a month or whatever. So I don't feel too guilty mm-hmm. about that. So, uh, moving on to our sponsor. Speaking of ordering from the internet, do you have some stuff you would like to get 3D printed? Boy, do I have a website for you. You can see it in the show notes. It's called alterdimension.com. And I would say use the discount code COG2019, but I think everything is 20% off now. I don't know. You should just say, like, Hey, I heard about this on Chance of Gaming, and he said you'd print this stuff for me, so that'd be cool. So, yes, alterdementia.com. You can see it in the show notes. And it's got uh, Hero Forge and several other licenses and stuff. I've actually got some stuff I need to do in order with him. Some dwarves for um, Kings of War. I actually subscribe to a Patreon of somebody. Where I get STL files for dwarves and uh, that oh, and yeah. some Battletech stuff. Since all that got pulled off Thingverse, somebody I know saved it and sent it to me. So I'm like, I need to get some of these printed. Anyway. <laughs> all right, Roy, take us to Mars. Okay, so we have a movie review of John Carter. So, and uh, uh, Adam, you've seen this movie too, right? Yes. And Rich, you have not. I have not. I was going to try to watch it this week, but okay. same with the games. So just never quite had enough time. Ah. So John Carter came out in 2012, and it was a huge flop. <laughs> um, the marketing for it was terrible. The trailers were kind of uninteresting. And um, boy, howdy, that was the, I don't know, it's uh, it's a visually pretty stunning movie. So I, I did enjoy John Carter, and this is going to be a relatively spoiler-free uh, review. But So it's based on an Edgar Rice Burroughs novel called A Princess of Mars, and actually Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, is a character in the John Carter movie. Uh, so the story is kind of told in flashback, uh, and Edgar Rice Burroughs is the nephew of John Carter, and so it's through his, his uh, chronicles and notes and everything that the story is told. Um, but so John Carter was a Civil War Confederate cavalry officer, soldier at least. Um, and he uh, uh, one day he finds the secret cave and he gets whisked off to Mars and has quite the adventure there. Um, so this takes place 1860s, 70s, something like that? or Yeah, 1881, okay. I think. Oh, OK. So right. there's a there's a part in the beginning that's set in the West Um and I want to point out that he goes and gets supplies from uh, Dix, the storekeeper, and that is Don Stark. So do you remember Bob Pinciotti from that 70s show? Yes, um, yes. He is the, the shopkeeper there, and he has like a little bit role, um, but I thought it was cool to see him. Uh, but anyway, so the, the movie, um, I read an article about uh, kind of what doomed it, and the director, Andrew Stanton, had previously directed Wally. And so he had some cred, but he was not used to doing live action uh, filming. And so he was kind of trying to learn that on the fly as he's directing John Carter. 
and it was kind of a passion project to his. And apparently, a lot of uh, filmmakers, including George Lucas, were fans of of A Princess of Mars the book. So a lot of the character names in John Carter and A Princess of Mars show up in in altered forms in Star Wars. So one of the one of the uh, creatures that they have on um, on the planet of Barsoom, which is Mars, is a banth. Well, of course, if you remember the banthas from mm-hmm. uh, from Tatooine, so a lot of the yeah, so it was an inspiration to Lucas and a lot of other uh, uh, filmmakers. But anyway, so Andrew Stanton was uh, he he really liked this book and he was kind of. Um, it was his kind of blind passion for it that kind of wrecked the the marketing, and um, so it was poorly marketed. They had a couple of trailers, and to me, I think the name sucks. To me, a Princess of Mars is a much better title than John Carter because who the hell is that? So. Well, yeah, that was the big complaint with the marketing. They were like, "Why in the world would you have?" It's this sci-fi show uh, movie, and they're like. Well, it's just John Carter. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, so, like I say, it inspired a lot of filmmakers, but all of, like, you've, we've seen, we've already seen Star Wars, so when John Carter comes out, well, it kind of all feels like a derivative of Star Wars rather than the other way around. Um, but uh, Brian Cranston has a role in it, and I thought for sure if they're paying Brian Cranston money, that they're going to make more use of him. But so he plays Powell, who is a union soldier who is looking for John Carter. Um, and, uh, I could hardly tell it was Brian Cranston, but if they ever make a Custer movie, which I don't, I don't think in this day and age, I don't know if you can make a Custer movie, <laughs> you know, he'd have to be like an anti-hero kind of thing. But I, that's, that's the guy I want cast as Custer is Brian Cranston. Um, it also has Dominic West, from The Wire. Have you guys seen The Wire? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I just he, finished a, re, a second rewatch of it. Oh, really? I've, I've only, and I haven't finished the first season because it keeps dropping off of, uh, off of uh, Hulu and off of, uh, it was on Netflix, I guess. I don't know. No, uh, Amazon Prime. But of course, I, HBO yanked it to go onto their streaming service. But uh, Dominic West is, um, I forget what the character's name is. He was the kind of the main guy. Um, plays uh, Sab Thon is the uh, villain in in uh, John Carter, and then uh, Lynn Collins. I, this woman is strikingly beautiful. This is uh, the person that plays the Princess of Mars, and I have a link there for her. Um, and uh, yeah, so this, is she a Martian? Yes. So okay. there. So on Barsoom, there are the Tharks, which are four-armed uh, green barbarians, and they kind of live out in the waste and, and make their way in the waste. And then you have the red men. And so the the main story is about a clash between two city-states um, on, on Barsoom. So the red men, there's some red men in this city versus some red men in another city, and the Tharks are kind of stuck in the middle. Um, but it's a dying world. So you know, if, if you're yearning for something, for, for a, a dark sun, um, it, it very much feels like D&D Dark Sun, the whole, the whole story. Um, they have uh, flyers, like uh, sailing ships that sail on light. So the um, 
what their uh, their sails spread. It's a bunch of glass like wings. So there's um, uh, the ships sail around and and there's uh, dogfighting that happens. Um, and uh, it's like I say, it's it's a striking movie with uh, all the deserty sets, and um, the story's pretty good. So that's uh, uh, John Carter. And there were scenes that were filmed in Utah, I found out. I had to look and see where it was filmed at, too. Richard, what makes him like... Um, John Carter's like a superhero, almost, when he goes to Mars. And the reason why... The books were written, like, in the 1800s or something, Roy? 1918. Okay. Uh, I know they're, like, public domain and, and all that now. And uh, that's the same guy that did Tarzan, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, I forgot to mention that. Um. What makes him a superhero is uh, even back then they realized that Mars would have like a lower gravity. So if you're raised on Earth and you get magically transported to Mars, you're like super strong. And, like, and he can like jump like, you know, 50 feet in the air and, you know, all this stuff. And it's all because he yeah, he's just in shape. That's it. It's not like the rock or anything. So, but when he goes to Mars, because of the lower gravity, he's like super strong and can do all this stuff. So, so I, I really, I've always liked the idea of it. I mean, that's, you would call that pulp, I guess, Roy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I love that kind of thing. And uh, when it came out, I was very, very excited for it. And it just still, you know, it, they really, really botched the, um, uh, the, marketing on it and yeah mm-hmm. it went nowhere because they were kind of expecting it to be like a a big deal and there was going to be sequels because there's a bunch of books mm-hmm. for yeah. it yeah so i may have to dive into those but um yeah the it was really kind of scuttled by the director it had kind of taken a, a a real strong hand in in the marketing and the directing and everything and they had a bunch of reshoots also I haven't watched it in a while, but I do absolutely remember um, enjoying it. Is it on um, Disney Plus? Yes, sorry, it's yes, it is available on Disney Plus. Okay, okay. I knew I had seen it. I, it wasn't on Netflix, but I knew I had seen mm-hmm. it somewhere. So, but I, you know, I think it'd be fun to do a, uh, a role playing thing there. I mean, I'm sure that somebody's made a port of John Carter in some role playing system. Oh, he's live Googling. Live Googling. Oh, my, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh, Roy. I don't know why I didn't think about this. A big company actually did it and did it recently. That would be Modifius. Modifius. Yes. All right. And John uh-huh. Carter of Mars. Um, and it, to me, I mean, the, the cover and stuff reminds me a lot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. And see, I love the idea of like you know the the airships and you know all that kind of stuff. And uh, of course, I also dig. Um, was it like we've talked about it before? Like Space eighteen eighty nine. Yep. Which was a they were big enough. If I if I'm thinking of the right one, there's one of them called that. It's it's basically Victorian Britain on Mars, and they were so big that they have a whole bunch of like audio dramas and stuff with it. So yeah. I just, yeah, I dig Pulp Mars stuff. Yeah, John so Carter the, would be really cool. The Modifius figures there, they even have uh, Woola, the little uh, the little dog, the little hound dog character. 
is in there too. I don't. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't realize there was a second page. There's like a third page. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I love the the look of these. They'd be really neat. And so, Modifius, I hate their stuff is so damn expensive. Like for one miniature, and these guys are not multi-part. I mean, or if by multi-part maybe the base is, it's seven pounds for one guy and a base. Oof. That's that's ridiculous in in the year 2020. But uh, they're the only people that are making it because I really like their their Star Trek miniatures that they do for their role playing game, and uh, I would love to get those and do like some actual miniature gaming with it, like mm-hmm. uh, because they have those rules built into the uh, the RPG for like you know fighting with miniatures and stuff. They're just too damn expensive. Hmm. Anyway, sorry, guess, but I really like. I want to watch the movie again now. I do. And I kind of want to get the role-playing game now to actually... Because usually you can get like a lot of really good background and stuff mm-hmm. on it. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think I need to dig dig into those books. And um, I'm almost positive. Uh, there is... Um, it's called Project Something. That their main thing is digitizing, uh, making e-books out of stuff that has gone into public domain. It's Project Gutenberg. That, yeah. Okay. So you should probably be able to find um, there. I say just briefly looking at Wikipedia, how many? Yeah, there's been a ton of comics and stuff. Uh, yeah, that was in the 30s and 40s, and ah, mm-hmm. dadgum, they're making me count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. They don't count stuff on history on the table. They have eleven books. <laughs> eleven books came out with that. I guess official ones. I mean, who knows? Whatever you know, wrote past that. But yeah, it's just that really cool pulp look, you know. Uh, and I, you'll see this in the show notes, like the picture on Wikipedia and stuff of the uh, the fast action book. You know, the guy's no shirt, his big cape. And uh, has a sword, yeah. Well, I, I don't know what you call that genre where you kind of blend uh, fantasy into science fiction. Steampunk, right? Yeah, I, think I don't know. Steampunk that's, that's... is not. I, I guess I haven't seen John Carter, but that's... when I think of steampunk, I, th- I think specifically of like steam replacing electronics. Ah. That's like a subgenre of that fantasy science uh, it's something close because yeah oh I mean, yeah, is it uh yeah like like uh i don't know fairy punk something like that i don't know, I don't know. maybe it, it's uh science fantasy i don't know but it is that is like a little genre you know they do where you know it'll be kind of it's like we you know that game that gamut that we talked about uh the D in space spell jammer Spelljammer, yeah, yeah. You know, something like that. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, that's what we do. We get off on tangents. But yes. How about Mana Punk? Could be. Or we could always start it, you know? Well, that's, <laughs> I, 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 that was a name that came into my head, and I see that there's there's things that say Mana Punk. Mana Punk, okay. I don't so, know. Yeah, Dominic West was uh, McNulty on the wire. Okay, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, it was uh, him and the the black dude. I can't remember what his name was. Curtis Alba. No, the uh, his partner. 
Bunk. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold it was on. Yeah, Bunk, it's Bunk and McNulty. Yeah, yeah. Bunk, Bunk and McNulty. All right, now the the shit was like Clayton oh, that Davis. Was the, he was the politician. Wasn't and, he? Yes, yeah. and if you if you're familiar with The Wire, go watch Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. It's a Wire reunion. Oh really? It, oh, yes, right. it is. It's hysterical, and yes, the, he, the guy does the line in there. <laughs> I can't believe. Uh, Isn't there that one scene with uh, with Bunk and McNulty though, where they're like they're investigating a crime scene and they say nothing but fuck like the entire. Oh time. yeah, they're yep. the the woman That's gets shot through the window. Scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that one. It's great. It is absolutely great. And uh, yeah. All right. So uh, onto what's on our radar. And the first thing, uh, this was one of those weird targeted ads you get on uh, Facebook. This is GearHomies.com has the America History Collection. I mean, it's not You know, when you click on these, they, it only encourages them to send you more, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, now we're talking about... Uh, talking no, about I've done show. it. Yeah. So you, you essentially get... These are um, athletic wear. It's, it's a hoodie and sweatpants. But they're all graphic up to be like Henry V of England. You know, it's it's his outfit or Queen Elizabeth the First. But what drew my attention was like uh, the Napoleon ones they have, or they have Napoleon Bonaparte, or they have like the the Swiss Guard from the thing. I don't want the pants on some of these, but some of these I would kind of kind of want, and I would so, only, only only wear these to a war gaming convention. <laughs> that you can get an Archduke Franz Ferdinand, but there's no bullet holes. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That would encourage people to shoot what? you. You could do uh, too, too soon. Too soon. They do have the 95th Rifles, which uh, from the British uh, Army. What's that's Sharp, Richard Sharp. Um, yeah, honestly, the Franz Ferdinand thing is kind of you know, it looks pretty cool. He's got some nice stuff on there. You've got Civil War uniforms, but again, they're kind of vague. Yeah. You know that if you know if you thought this was a uniform. And, of course, these are just pictures. I would really like to see, like, what it looked like in person. Like, because this is one huge wraparound graphic. I think what uh, actually drew me to this is they have um, some anime stuff. I'm almost positive it was, um, like, from uh, Legend of Galactic Heroes or something that you could get replicas of their uniform. Yeah, if you click on it. It's, um, you've got, like, uh, not Bubba Fett is available, and not Stormtrooper is there. Oh, you could be a Cardinal. You could be not the Mandalorian. Uh, where, so, yeah. Where is this at? Okay, okay. It's on GearHomies.com. You go over to the uh, top left. Yeah. Yeah, please pull over if you're listening and trying to do this. Um, click on Men. Click on the Plus thing and go to Tops and Outerwear. Click on that Plus and do All Over Print. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, it's, oh, okay. yeah, yep. see, it, not only is the historical ones, but you start getting into some possibly copyright violations because <laughs> <laughs> there's not Chewbacca is on there. And but, yeah, I'm almost positive what they have uh, Legend of Galactic Heroes. And that's what's on it. Anyway, so that hmm. came across my radar this week. And the only cool. other what you say? I said that's cool. Yeah. And the only other thing I had uh, on What's Your Radar, it was too great to pass up, was it's a PDF of 
Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears, the role-playing game. So somebody actually put some nice graphic design into making this. I don't know how good it is, you know. And yeah, it's only like, what was it, like five pages, something like that. See, if I was like a, a decent podcast, we would do this as a Patreon exclusive. We'd all sit down and play this. But we would, yeah, and we'd take it, yeah, anyway. Well, we need patrons for that. Yes, yes. But, but it's the thing, Roy, is like, in order to get patrons, you have to have something exclusive to give it to them. <laughs> but we can't give them we, anything. We need if, to have an excellent video. We need to have, we need to, we need, we need them to give us money in order to get some, yeah, it just, I don't know, it works. I don't know, just, it's the chicken and the egg kind of thing, but, um, yeah, so I'm just going to pass this along. It, you know, because I love this cartoon. I loved it growing up, and I'm, I can actually be talk a little obsessive about it and just how deep it is because I'm just fascinated by essentially what this is is the bears are living in a post-apocalyptic world. It's like they when you watch the cartoon and oh my gosh, I'm such a nerd. Uh, when you watch <laughs> the cartoon, uh, you'll see them uh, they you see they like move around all through the, like the ruins of this great bear society. And you, you hear them talk about, like, everybody has, like, gone to wherever. You know, like, the elves in Lord of the Rings, you know, had gone on to wherever. So these guys are just, and I can't remember why they're there. I don't know if they were left guarding something or just got left behind. But it's a little group of them. But, yeah, they moved through the crumbling ruins of this underground massive ah. bear society. And the problem was people. You know, we came, apparently this is a in England, it's definitely medieval times. There's King Gregor and whatever, so, yeah. I don't know. I just, I find that just fascinating, so, anyway. Chancy Gaming, episode 54, where we talk about the uh, the parallels between Gummy Bears and Lord of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, you know, uh, for a history dissertation, talk about, like, <laughs> uh, Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears in comparison to Stalingrad. Yes, what I'll do. <laughs> the grimdark backstory of uh, gummy bears. It's scary. It is. This whole thing. So, uh, on to actual news. Historic Fest has been canceled, and I don't know how to process it, Richard. I don't. So, uh, it's just, I mean, I, I, I totally get it. Um, I understand why things are happening, but it doesn't make it any any easier to take. I was really looking forward to that. Um, you know, it was, it was postponed once and now it's canceled. I've had another thing canceled this year. I mean, it's, everything's getting canceled and you don't want to, you don't want to make it seem like it's a huge deal that I can't go play games with my friends when people are out there dying. So I'm certainly not taking, making light of the situation. You know, I work for a healthcare organization. I get weekly briefings on what the situation is and, I'm taking it very seriously, so I totally get it, but it doesn't make it any less sad. So yeah. uh, next year, hopefully, you know, hopefully people will will be safe and uh, we will get a vaccine. And by next spring, um, we will, you know, start to do these things over again. Well, all right. First of all, I, I'm very disappointed because I was excited about uh, the Tiki Bar. He was going to take me to. Remember, remember <laughs> we talked about that? 
He's like, yeah. well, remember, because he just kind of casually threw it out there. He was like, well, you know, if you're into, like, tiki stuff. I'm like, yes, yes, I am. I was like, tell me about this place. And he was like, whoa, well, yeah, we have this great bar, and we have this um, radio show, and, you know, all this cool stuff. So, yeah. Mm. I don't know. I mean, the other thing is, like, you know, being able to hang out. He seems like a cool guy. Although, he, when he DMs me on Twitter, like, I think the last time was, like, to ask about, like, six millimeter, uh, good manufacturer six millimeter. Yeah. Stuff. You know, and I'm like, okay, it's it's this or whatever, and and then he just kind of disappears. I'm like, oh, hey, guy, I, I thought we were hanging out. Thought you'd ask me about my day. Anyway, no, so. Mm. You end up with those relationships that you think are deeper than what they are. <laughs> with this, like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Roy's really my really good friend. And then when he hangs up at the end, he doesn't even think about me. He's like, ah, whatever. Just keep moving on. <laughs> Uh, it, it, that happens like when you're when you're over the internet. But anyway, I was wanting to had a game to deliver to Richard that we you know we talked about that that was really fun. How I uh, found that at uh, the last convention I attended, and uh, we were going to play. You know, it's nice to actually yeah. game and be able to game with Matt and stuff. Even though he would probably be busy, but I don't know. I wanted to see what this whole American Civil War thing was that you guys talk about. So. This does remind this does remind me I'm wanting to do a war game fest like if my dad's house sells this year that's the last bit of his estate is done I'll have some extra money and I thought about trying to do siege of Vicksburg and you know do it there you know Jack's there you know just it'd be nice something that you know you could probably pull people from Texas. Louisiana and just whatever, you know, just something small and nice, like I thought, mm-hmm. you know, Historic Fest would be. Although I am, I was still very jealous of the uh, the custom Historic Fest t-shirts people made. I know, I still haven't worn mine. It's just sitting in my drawer mocking me. You know, I I want, yeah, I, I was like, man, that's really cool, dadgummit. How do I do that, you know? I don't know, you guys are graphic <laughs> designers or some shit. I don't know how to do that. Y'all know that Photoshop can't be that hard i mean my my daughter actually made a custom t-shirt for my wife for her birthday this year so and she's 10 years old she did the whole thing herself got on the computer ordered it went in i obviously drive herself there but she, you could yeah. do it you're kids, a big boy i don't know maybe kids know stuff more these days Richard. <laughs> they do so get your kids to do it yeah that's true uh the next thing we had jim holloway died and if you are a, a big Battletech fan, especially from like way back in the day, you're familiar with his artwork. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's the best artwork in the world, but it's very, very iconic. Especially, he, my, my personal favorite is the cover of the Mech Warrior role playing game. He did a lot of uh, artwork for Paranoia also. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Let's see. I was trying to huh. find some of his stuff. Yeah, he died Sunday. I said his um, his pro- prolific work spanned the breadth of the sci-fi and fantasy genres, particularly during the 80s and the 90s. Best known for his covers and interiors for Dungeons and Dragons, Dragon Magazine, the original artist for Paranoia, and contributed artwork for Iron Crown Enterprises' Lord of the Rings products. Wow. Okay. And the, I just know him from a ton of uh, Battletech stuff he did. I wonder what uh, D&D stuff did he do. <clears throat> oh, there's actually, there's actually a Facebook group 
I'll try to link this in the uh, the show notes. The art of Jim Holloway. I know. So the, I, yeah, I added a link there to the paranoia stuff too. That uh, I was actually interested in the paranoia uh, video game that was coming out, but it turned out to be this huge mess. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it came out honestly briefly, and uh, it was has been pulled from sale. So, yeah, yeah, from Westin Games. That is just real. It looked to me that's better looking than the um, uh, stuff from uh, BattleTech. A couple of them, but uh, yeah, it's still very iconic. It's just mm-hmm. very eighties. I absolutely remember that kind of stuff. You know, either on the shelf or you know somebody had it, or even later on, you know, seeing this for sale you know, used in, uh, at a convention or whatever. But, yeah. I was going to mention that. <clears throat> the next thing we had, the new edition of 40K is about to come out, and one of the rules they decided to come out with is your shit's got to be painted. Mm-hmm. That and is hilarious. There, yes, there has been all kinds of discussion on this. So in, in the next edition, you're going to have to paint them with their brand of paint. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. They'll sell a, like a special tester. Like if you, yeah. you wipe it on the miniature and touch it like with a Q-tip, and if it turns green, it was not their paint. <laughs> so basically what it is, you get like a bonus, 10 bonus victory points if every model <laughs> in a player's army was painted to a battle-ready standard. This gives the player a maximum t- total score of 100 victory points. I support so, that. So, Adam, I haven't played, um, and I, so I don't know how much, I mean, if it's 100 out of 10, What the model count is? It's not a big oh, deal, okay. but, yeah, like, would, would it be possible for some guy who's really good to come in with an unpainted army and be like, screw you, I'm going <laughs> to handicap myself and still win? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's absolutely possible. Um, and, and see... <clears throat> I've so rarely ever seen a completely painted army. It's, it's really, really so really? rare. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I'll say this. Yeah, see, like, it, I, I see go, they got us playing it up at Minish. Well, not anymore, but used to all the time. And I don't think I ever saw an unpainted miniature. Now, the Legion people, mostly everything was painted unless something, like, just came out that day. People would, like, mm-hmm. go to the store and, oh, these guys just came out, and I'm going to play them tonight. But I, I, I don't think I've ever seen 40K stuff so, painted. Do we know what battle-ready standard is? Like uh, at least four colors or something? I'm pretty sure it'll be it'll be in the rule book. But it, given, oh like, ba- based there on their other stuff, it's X amount of different colors and X amount of shading. That used to be, like, a rule, and that rule was only for, like, judging, like, stuff, uh, best-painted armies or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just really crazy to me that they would just go this far and actually make it, uh, you know, a rule to where you had to do this. Well, I kind of support it, though. Now, you mentioned Legion. I completely understand that. Legion is about, about like bolt action. About the same amount of figures on there. I consider that kind of a large-scale skirmish. 40K, though, you can end up with over 100 models, no problem. So it oh. it's really, really labor-intensive. Some of the vehicles in 40K are huge, though. Yep, that's very true. But if you're playing, there are 
several armies that you could field hordes of people. Like, uh, they have, like, the Imperial Guard, which are just regular Joe Schmoes. Uh, Orcs. Or, uh, Tyranids. All have, like, really cheap troops. And you would do, like, a sw- I've seen so many that they don't even fit in a deployment zone. Which I thought was ridiculous, but it's, that's the way the game is. So, I think... I can't tell you the last time I've seen a completely painted 40k army. Usually for tournaments, they'll mostly do it. But usually, I mean... I, I would say they're probably usually 75% done. It's, you know, it has to do with, you know, well, this thing is put together, you know, put together, and this is base-coded, and, you know, whatever, and, yeah, all my troops are done, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see how how it goes. I mean, we had talked about this before, because I had thought, and you corrected me, I thought that you couldn't play in an official tournament with unpainted stuff. Um, that may have been true, but yeah, it, there hasn't been official tournaments in a long time. And uh, yeah. it, it's generally up to the organizers, which they're all done through, um, I can't think of whatever that thing is called now. It's the same, it's the same um, organization that does like the Las Vegas Open and stuff like that. They're the ones doing tournaments for it, and it's basically up to them. So, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see the way this goes. The new version of 40K is supposed to be smaller on the tabletop. Mm. And all I can see from, like, local guys are like, well, that's just a suggestion. So, <laughs> and I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, I want to play. I want less figures on the table so it doesn't look ridiculous. And I want it to not take four hours to play a game. Because generally, the game is over by, like, the second hour. And, you know, you're just struggling. The other person is struggling. I mean, can you even imagine four hours to play a game that is six rounds? That's insane. Huh. It's, it's just ridiculous. It should not be um, that much. It shouldn't take that long. Anyway. So, the next thing... Yeah, it makes, it hard, makes it hard to have a tournament with multiple rounds, for oh sure. Oh, my gosh. Tournaments, they, they have to do... They'll do, like, three rounds... And they'll start at like 8 a.m. and not finish till like 10 p.m. And usually yeah. give like 45 minutes for lunch or some shit. So the next mm. thing we have is the innies. You guys, and we'll have this posted in the show notes so you see the list. Um, they have like the 2020 nominees and the judges spotlight winners. I guess like the main reason why I wanted to put this on here was a particular person, um, let's see, Massive, if I'm pronouncing that right, Chris, withdrew Lancer, a indie sci-fi RPG, in protest over Blood in the Chocolate, which was published by uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, winning Best Adventure in 2017. And I found this to be kind of crazy that you were like, well, you know, your your game is up for an award. No, no, no. I want you to take it down because I don't like that this game won three years ago. So that really confused me. Like, why would you, you know, remove your own game in protest over a game that won three years ago? I, I don't understand that. I mean, should they, like, retroactively remove them as a winner and it should be somebody else. I don't know. 
I actually own Blood in the Chocolate, I think, on PDF. I'm standing up looking on my shelf. Yeah, I think I got it like in a bundle of uh, stuff. But you know me. I, I get these things, and I'm lucky if I read them. So, um, yeah. But I know it's, you know, it's all part of that whole Legends of the Flame Princess thing and how it's tied up you know, with all the different controversies and fun stuff there, but anyway. So I just wanted to mention that and then just actually look at the nominations. I had actually heard of Lancer. I think we talked about it on the show once, just that it came out. But, um, yeah. So, anyway. So looking at this stuff, guys, do you know, do you recognize anything on here? Uh, here, I lost it. I mean, there's a couple things on there I recognize, but there's nothing that that really jumps out to me. Um, no, not really. It's um, I think the uh, the RPG industry is becoming more, I don't know, less less about the big names maybe with companies like Drive Through RPG and a lot of more independent. Um, you see a lot of smaller Kickstarters. You see Drive Through RPG being able to publish a lot of even like independent modules for stuff for the big companies and stuff like that. So I think maybe and it, it's a good thing, but there's there's less. Uh, centralization if you want to call it that you're yeah you're absolutely right you're seeing a lot more indie stuff for sure um mork borg we yep. talked about that is on on here which is an art punk game which uh they yeah they say just owning a physical edition it, it's such an experience is like get that don't get the pdf so of oh. it's, it's been out of print for a while so, but they're still making it so if I ever get a chance to get it, I guess from like uh, Exalted Funeral, I uh, I will do that. I've I've heard of like Kids on Bikes. They they do a Strange yeah, Adventures Volume I re- Two. I really want to play that one. And uh, what uh, caught my eye, of course it did, is Sexy Battle Wizards for best <laughs> free product. Uh, you are a member of the College Errant, an organization based in a magical flying castle that rose the land looking to avert arcane disasters and fight injustice. You have precisely zero authority to do this. The cops hate you, and you're wanted in several countries for collateral damage caused whilst saving the world. But it doesn't tell me, like, that I'm sexy, though. I wanted to know that part. What makes me a sexy battle wizard? Who determined I was sexy? Is it me? Do I just say that? Do I have to draw myself? What is I? This is stuff I want to know. Good thing it's free. Now I will say under best game, the alien role playing game is listed there. I know mm-hmm. a, a lot of people are having a lot of fun with that. We uh, didn't make the cut for best podcast. No, I, I looked. I did. And, this game, uh, this game is rigged. I was disappointed. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm actually, I actually subscribed to the Appendix N Book Club. I need to check up on that. Uh, uh-huh. Go back over because I just found that fascinating. It was like, well, you know what Appendix N is? It's like when, right. when, when what's his name created Dungeons and Dragons. He actually had a list of like, this is where I drew, drew all my inspiration from, and so they kind of go over it. And oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like you said, though, when you were recently reading the uh, the Vance stuff, you know, just because it became inspiration doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> that is very true. That is absolutely true. But, I mean, it's like, eh, you know, I'm reading this, and I'm like, eh, okay, I see what they're going for. 
And now, uh, best supplement. I'm familiar with Delta Green. We've talked about them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, wow. Okay, we're just not a kind of an RPG thing. Sorry. If the Innies did like a, I don't know, Hex Encounter War Game thing, we'd probably be all over it. And we <laughs> should be for best podcast in that one too. No, yep. Charles S. Roberts Awards are coming out soon. Ah, okay. They got a best podcast thing. Can we get in that? Is the thing? Mm, I don't know. Oh yeah, I was reminded of um, in Brave Little Belgium. They misspelled your name. That's okay. For it uh, happens. for doing that, and they actually so somebody on their mentions like, oh yeah, didn't they make a um a version of yeah. it where Richard was credited was as a designer? designer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm just glad. I'm just happy some people pay attention to me. That's hey, all. That's all. I, I mean. have a one in the world copy of Brave Little Belgium. Oh yeah, signed it by is... the man himself. Yeah, they're signed by uh, Tom Vassell. All right, now you need to send it off to get Ryan and Dave to sign it. Yeah, if I ever meet them, I will. I'll bring it, have them sign it. So uh, the next thing we had was Free RPG Day. It's coming up, maybe, I assume. Who knows with this thing? They're planning. I guess it's all going to be online now. I mean, usually they fill up all the game stores with stuff like that, but obviously it's... They're not going to be doing that. It'll be all online now. Yeah, I see it, but I wonder what to do with like the, you know, the physical copies of this stuff. A lot of times with leftovers, you know, well, free RPG day. It's I guess the game stores have physical copies, but free RPG day usually just has a bunch of PDFs to download, don't they? Well, uh, it it's like a thing like with free comic book day where game stores will they actually buy these, which I didn't know. I found that out recently. They buy them and then they they give them away. Like, hey, you guys, oh, okay. you come in to our store. Like, uh, my local store, Vans, did it really well one year with tons of people running games, and you got prizes and stuff for sitting down through each individual demo. So it was really really cool. So I actually got to play. I even played the My Little Pony game that day. So so I see that there's a root RPG mm-hmm. that they're they're rolling up. Yeah, that's coming. And uh, this is the quick starter guide for that, which would be really good. I The first one is Humblewood. I thought that was really cool, where it's the anthropomorphic uh, animals. Oh, okay, yeah. And then uh, the new Warhammer roleplay, Wrath and Glory is there. Apparently some people have dice. Yeah, Root, that's going to be big. I'm curious to see how it transfers over. So how is there nothing for Dungeons & Dragons on here? They're not doing an adventure? Uh, that's a good point. Maybe, I don't know. Oh, that's not Humblewood. I see. It says Adventure for 5e, and I immediately went to D&D 5e. I see. Well, they're doing a Star uh, Starfinder thing, Skitter yeah. Home, which I honestly should look but, at I mean, that. You, you would think that you'd think that Wizards would produce an official adventure for Free RPG Day. Yeah. I guess maybe they will, but they're just doing it themselves. You know? Yeah, maybe. Because, like, what this is, is these are things, like, where you can click on them, and I guess if you have a store, you can you can make an order and get these things in. But, I don't know. Oh, okay, Free RPG Day is July 25th. Wow. Yep. If that even happens, it's a week from Saturday. Hmm. So, the next thing we had was from Weird Games, which I don't talk about that much. I hope to eventually get a little bit of Malifaux off in my uh, area. 
I thought these were neat. They're just doing some alternate sculpts kind of based on a cyberpunk weird future. Uh, yeah, some 80s something. It's, supposed to, it's Malifaux Nightmare Edition 1988. And I really dig some of these. Particularly um, Spirits, which is some kind of fish in a robot and it has a gun. <laughs> So, um, I'm trying to think if, like, any of these I'd actually played. I think I'd do Arcanist is what I have, uh, figures for. So I guess I would, I could feel the Rail Workers. And there's three different ones of those. And then Gumdrop is a cool figure, but that's Mei Fang. Um, I don't play her. And then, yeah, I could do the Forgeling, I think, with Spirits. But, um, uh, I'm just hoping, like, these. Uh, they're supposed to be on the web store during the Gen Con sale, and so I hope like it won't be like a limited type thing. I guess this, you know, they would have had them for sale at Gen Con, and then that didn't happen. Which that would have been what first uh, of August, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, some, like it's somewhere around now. I don't know. But anyway, so uh, the next thing we had. I know you guys love coming at us for industry gossip. Thomas Parrott uh, was removed from the Black Library, which is Games Workshop's uh, library publishing arm, on the grounds that he was a poor representative of their brand. And, um, yeah, it was apparently somebody on the Twitter community made a joke about gay space marines, and uh, got death threats for it, and this guy defended him. And uh, yes, people have decided to drop him. They even trying to blame him for the leaks that have come out lately uh, over the uh, the rules for 40k. So it's a whole thing. I know you guys like us for uh, gossip, and it's a thing. So, yeah, lots of people on Twitter were reposting that thing that, you know, Games Workshop posted about, you know, hey, we're, we love everybody, Warhammer's for everyone, and if you actually believe that, you shouldn't be um, ditching this guy here. So, there you go. Anyway. There had to have been gay space marines, right? You would think. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the next thing we had was a really interesting article from Plain Sailing Games about Kickstarter funding. And I love this because it actually straight up breaks down everything. Like, uh, you have a target, how much you get after the fees, what does it cost to print and distribute, and what you have left. And, you know, what happens with problems. You know, what do you do, this, that, and the other. And it reminded me a lot of the Jamie Stegmeyer interview we did where he talked about he would have been ruined had one stretch goal made it. One more stretch goal. That was the coins, oh. right? If I remember. Uh, right. Yeah, the metal yeah, coins. The metal coins. So. Yeah. For what game? Um, dang. Was that? Um, was it? was side. Yeah, it was side. Okay. side. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And even though that went on to become this huge hit, and you know, I mean, I guess if he, if those coins had happened, there would be no um, wingspan. So there you go. Hmm. But I'm not gonna just go over it line by line. But it's a really cool article. And um, I'll have it posted in the show notes. I, for me, it's just neat to see. I honestly feel like a lot of companies don't do the what happens, you know, in a worst case scenario. 
or they don't understand that, okay, they had a contract for printing. Well, prices have gone up. What does that mean? Or COVID happened or the price of steel went up. All this different stuff that goes into it, which firmly makes me think not everybody should be kickstarting. Yeah, I don't think anyone had COVID in their worst case scenario this year, though. A global pandemic. So, that's the thing. All right, the next thing we had was you got some pre-orders from Mantic for Kings of War, a game I'm dabbling in. And I just wanted to drop this in here because it, they have the Night Stalkers, which are essentially fantasy tyranids. They are, um, yeah, it's, think of like, a, you know, aliens, where it's just, a big horde of ravenous, mindless creatures that are just killing. And this is a fantasy version of that. So mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty neat. And that's probably what I'm going to do for a second army. Once I finally finish out my, um, my dwarves. But, you know, who am I kidding? I'll, you know, I won't finish my dwarves first. I'll buy into these. And then something else will come out. I'll buy that. And it's the whole thing. I don't know. I got a problem. <laughs> I got a problem, Roy. I don't know what it is. Um... Gale Force 9 is finally taking pre-orders for the new Aliens board game. We've been talking about this for almost a year. This seems really, really cool. Now, I'm sure the Aliens RPG is cool, but this dungeon crawler is, yeah, this is where I, I kind of want to be. I want to play this. But, you know, um, I'm going to wait until it goes on sale at Miniature Market, I think. Because, uh, I mean, honestly, the base game isn't bad. MSRP is 60 bucks. And uh, they have an expansion that's 30 and another larger box set for 60 Or you can get all of it with some extra stuff for 150 And that is the Aliens Complete Experience, which comes with all kinds of uh, resin stuff there. I don't know. I, I really want to do this because this is like something I've, I've wanted to play this game forever. That Here's what you should do, Adam. Yes. Pre-order it. And when it comes out and everybody's blown up on Facebook and everything, posting pictures, sell yours for twice what you paid for. Uh, that's true. That's very true. You can do that. It can happen. So I guess the last thing we got is Warlord Games issued a statement on the delay of Victory at Sea. So uh, I'm very excited for this game. I had my local store when he was, when he was like, hey... Do you need anything for bolt action? Because we're gonna, I'm going to start this and have bring some stuff in the store. I'm like, I want this game from them. And he's like, Oh, they said that's not out yet. I'm like, I know. Pre-order it and get it to me as soon as it comes out. And of course, remember we talked about they're doing that uh, partnership with um, World of Warships, and you'll get like codes oh, yeah. for whatever. You guys ever fool around with any of those? They do war, world, world of warplanes, warships, and world of tanks. I think I played World of Tanks just for a little bit a long time ago. I mean, it's essentially it's just a you know uh, Call of Duty type thing, except you're you're a ship or a tank or a plane, and you go around trying to destroy other ones. And it's you know you can spend real money to buy like upgrades or paint or whatever. <coughs> I want to say the World of Warships also does some anime skins from various anime games that have had ships as girls, which is funny, so I don't know. 
It's the thing. Anyway, I really want to play Victory at Sea. I enjoyed it the first go-round, and I love the fact that I don't have to buy my own figures. It comes with them. Uh, maybe the bases aren't the greatest in the world, but it doesn't bother me. So, there you go. So, I added one more thing on there. One more thing. Yes. Pandemic Legacy Season... Well, Season Zero is going to be a prequel. Yeah, that's right. To uh, Season 2, I guess. Did you ever finish up Season 2? No. No. So, is this but, like so, where we find out like the origin of the pandemic? Yeah. Yep. I'm gonna. You, I'm gonna you go would with... guess so, but the I mean the, the preview so far is like nothing. It's like box. Oh, that's true. Saying hey, it's season zero. That's pretty much all we know so far. So I'm gonna Which, go. You know, I'm gonna say Karens. That's what started the pandemic. <laughs> Karens. Griping about people barbecuing without soup. a mask. Well, see, something came out. You know, it was it was a virus that could easily be stopped. And this huge thing of misinformation came out, and people felt entitled, and it caused it to spread. So, there you go. That's crazy. Nobody's going to believe that. I know. That could never happen. No one's that crazy. That dumb. Really? Misinformation? (laughs) No. I swear, even tonight, I, I get people... Now, these are people my parents' age, but they're they're posting stuff like, this comes from an OSHA inspector who worked on submarines, you know, and it, it and it's like why masks are, you know, are worse, why you sh- why we shouldn't be wearing masks. So obviously this is this is not real. This is this is some shit probably put up by a Russian, you know, whatever to help destabilize the country, and uh, you're just passing it around. As like, you know, because it's what you want to believe. You want to believe you shouldn't have to mm-hmm. wear a mask. So you find this thing and you repost it. So, yeah, we, golly. The, I mean, I, I'm going to guess it'll, we'll hit about half a million dead before um, we actually start to take it serious. Well, and the people that are going to die aren't the ones that you really kind of want to die. <laughs> You know, I'm going to distance myself from that remark. Okay. Well, never mind. (laughs) So, well, I mean, it's, you know, it, you see all these people talking about, well, it's, it's young people spreading it now. They're, they're bringing it to the old and it, you know, it's killing them and and whatnot. The weird thing is though, it does kill uh, some young people, you know, whatever. And the other thing is like, we don't know like what the long-term effects are. I mean, they're, you're, you're hearing them talk about, like, you know, possible stroke or heart problems or whatever, like, down the road or, like, lung transplant. You know, it's just bad. I mean, shit. But people are still like, eh, it's just like the flu. Or it's not real. So I'm just going to go right on to Kroger and cough on everybody. So, yeah. See, those are the people we need less of. Yeah. Oi, oi, <laughs> oi. Yeah, so, yeah, we're, we're not ready we don't believe it it's just bad i mean honestly it's just going to be known as an it will never be known as a chinese disease it's it's going to be an american disease because it, mm. they came over you know it's over here and like as of now our passports are just about useless you cannot go anywhere in the world because we're having so many problems over here places that are trying to get it under control 
are like, no, you guys can't come over here and fuck everything up. You know, so we're, we've barely got it under control. We don't need you to come over here. So, yeah, it's like we're, we're not taking it seriously. Plus, they're like, eh, here's $1,200 and some bootstraps. So, anyway. good luck. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so uh, I guess that's all we got. So we'll say good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye.